Hello and welcome to Eat This Podcast with me, Jeremy Churthus. For this episode, the first of the new year, we're going off to Laos in Southeast Asia. My friend Michael Victor has lived in Laos for the past 16 years, working in a variety of different positions to do with agricultural biodiversity and the part it plays in the lives and food of the people. He was here in Rome recently, a good chance to catch up and learn a bit more, starting with what's so special about food in Laos. It, what it's unique for, it's the only country in Asia that actually uh, eats uh, glutinous rice as its main staple. So it is eating sticky rice as its main staple. And Laos, uh, because it's eating sticky rice and mainly upland rice varieties, is beyond, you know, besides India, has the most varieties uh, and the, the most diversity, rice diversity in the world behind India. I think, you know, Erie uh, in the 90s was lucky to go and help the Lao government and the Lao researchers to actually identify and collect, uh, you know, different varieties of rice. And I think they, you know, overall they had uh, 15,000 ascensions and they found like 9,000 varieties. And it's just astounding, the amazing diversity that is there. That diversity isn't natural. That diversity has been cultivated particularly by upland farmers, by ethnic farmers, by women who have, you know, been protecting the seeds, been exchanging them, improving them, creating new varieties all the time for different situations. Sounds intriguing, but the truth is my picture of the geography of Southeast Asia is still fuzzy, to say the least. So before we could really get going, I had one more very naive question. So where is Laos? Okay. Laos is at the heart of the Mekong region, and it really borders upon all the Mekong region countries. So it, it is in the middle on the, on the uh, western side, you have Thailand. On the eastern side, you have Vietnam. On top, you have China. And you also have the sliver that we all know is the Golden Triangle, up uh, with Myanmar, where Myanmar, Laos, and Thailand meet. Uh, and then in the bottom, you have, again, Vietnam, and you have Cambodia. So it really touches on, upon all the countries, and uh, it, it is you know, really at the heart of the Mekong, and that's what makes it unique in the sense of agrobiodiversity. It's a small country, a lot of land, small country. It's not going to be able to compete uh, with the big commercial commodities. You know, people are starting to plant cassava, they're starting to plant other big commodities. That's not where its, it's, it's uniqueness or its, its, its market's going to, to be, its competitive edge is going to be. It's going to be in these high-value niche market products, which is all the agrobiodiversity. Okay, with that out of the way, back to the food. You've got your sticky rice. What are you eating that with? So what you're eating is everything. You have an incredible amount of of diversity and food within the farm and also within the forest. You know, in the forest, you're going out and getting forest foods, you're getting non-timber forest products, you're getting different types of forest vegetables. From the rice field, if you're in a lowland area, you're getting your mollusks, you're getting snails, you're getting crabs, uh, you're getting other types of flowers, you're getting fish in there. So you're eating everything that's just, you know, growing around you and it's just flourishing around you. And so what you'll be eating with sticky rice, particularly on your kind of platter, what they call a pakao, uh, on a bamboo kind of low-standing uh, table, you'll be having your, your sticky rice, of course. You'll be having kind of a sometimes a bitter soup with some uh, vegetables in there. 
you'll be having a kind of a, a chutney, a salsa, a jiao, they call it, with, you know, that's a kind of a crushed vegetable with some chilies and whatnot. You'll either be having some type of fish, a little meat, you know, not huge amounts of meat, some pork, some beef, some dried beef, but a lot of fish. Uh, and you'll be having kind of maybe even a salad, you know, some what they call, you know, uh, tamakung, or what a lot of people know as the papaya salad. Michael mentioned a kapao, the low bamboo or rattan table on which the food is spread. And that's the name of a website produced by the latest project he worked with. It's called Pakao Lao, and like its namesake, it's a platform on which the country's rich agrobiodiversity has been set out. But why? Laos is, I would like to say, a country of farmers, you know, and before, you know, modernization and industrialization has taken over urbanization in the last 20 years, you know, my friends, when I first came to Laos 20 years ago, everyone knew everything about the forest and about farming. I've never met a, a group of people who were so knowledgeable about farming and about what's in the forest. Everyone could tell you hundreds of NTFPs, non-timber forest products that were growing. Everyone could identify different species and they knew what to, you know, how to eat it. Uh, they knew how to cook it. They knew how to prepare it. It was a country that, you know, a, a love of food, a love of what's, you know, in their environment. And they, they had a, a deep understanding and a deep knowledge of that. And as you industrialize and urbanize, that knowledge is quickly lost. And I think one of the things that's been, I think one of the great things that happened in Laos about 10, 15, 20 years ago was collecting some of this knowledge. And, you know, whether it was the rice varieties, was it the non-timber forest products, understanding kind of these, like, diverse farming systems. But a lot of that knowledge was spread out. Uh, it was scattered in different people's offices. It was in a database here. It was in a book there. Uh, it's, you know, in some, you know, in a, in a rice seed bank there. So the idea was with Pakaolao initially was to create a repository that really allows to, you know, allows one to really see this incredible diversity and to, you know, really build upon Lao national pride and, you know, in this incredible agrobiodiversity that's there. And, you know, Lao people love food. They love talking about different plants. And so the Pakao Lao initially was to be able to bridge the divide between this incredible knowledge of the older generation and this new generation that still loves food, but doesn't maybe understand it. You know, they've never been out to a farm before. They're living in a city now. They've never been able to farm themselves. So this is a way to really bridge the generations, I, we believe. Uh, the second part of it is, you know, there, as, as you kind of urbanize, there's a, a, a lot more pride and a lot more interest in the old food. And so this is a way to, again, to really allow, allow people to connect back to their farming system, to connect back to the farmers that are producing all these incredible you know, niche products that, you know, and that's the other thing is that Laos is filled with all these products that everyone in Asia wants, you know, whether it's forest honey, whether it's river weed, whether it's these, you Wait know, a minute, what's river weed? River weed, you know, it's, 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 it's algae that grows in the river and it, it makes these wonderful, you know, they make these wonderful kind of, you know, uh, sushi-like, uh, you know, algae like you know river weed they make these great little you know uh flat rolls of of seaweed and you fry them and you eat them with beer it's great you know and you know there's so many products in laos that you know are sought over asia you know whether it's benzoine uh benzoine which is 
used for most, you know, uh, for most perfumes in all over Europe. Uh, you know, they produce some of the best benzoine in the world. It, it, it comes from certain trees, and it comes from these farming systems that, you know, again, it's not, from, it's not a natural product. It grows up in a fallow. And so, you know, the benzoine, the styrax, will grow up after a 15-year fallow that a farmer has cultivated. And then they'll, uh, you know, you, you, you make an incision in the tree and you, you, get the, you get the resin from it. And this resin is sought over. It's used in some of the major perfumes all over Europe. Very often when countries are developing, what happens is that a, a kind of Western fast food diet comes in, particularly in the cities, and people go for that. Um, and it is only a couple of generations later often that they say, well, wait a minute, what did, what did we used to eat? Is that the sort of thing that happened in Laos? It, it hasn't happened yet, and I think that's the great thing in Laos is that we haven't had too many fast food, Western, McDonald's isn't there yet, thank God. There's Pizza Hut, but, you know, it's all right, and, you know, there's no Kentucky Fried Chicken. I think Laos has been able to retain its food system because it's so good. Lao people love their food. They love sticky rice. And... Of course, it, you know, it is changing very rapidly, but uh, I think it's been able to, to, to maintain that because the in, you know, in Western types of foods have not penetrated so much. It's a small market, too, so uh, it's very different than, let's say, Thailand, where you, you get all of that. So why then do you need Pakao Lao? If people are food, keen on their food and know about their food, why do you need to remind them? Well, I think, you know, again, farming systems are changing, you know, as you urbanize and industrialize, you, you do get kind of a, 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 a kind of, how do you say, kind of like the, the farming system starts to, uh, you know, focus on a narrow range of products. And, you know, and again, it's one of the things that we're trying to do with Pakalao is to, to make younger people aware that there's our opportunities for farming and for market products that you could actually make a living from. That there's like all these unique products, whether it's bamboo, whether it's the, the river weed, whether it's tea, whether it's coffee, mushrooms, that there's a range of things that you can do to make a living. And, you know, there are these products that you can market and that you can do that are non, you know, that are the non-industrialized crops. And, and this is a real opportunity. And it, it's being able to, to match younger people to these new, new ideas that are building upon the, the, the agrobiodiversity that's there. How important is the river to Laos? The Mekong runs right through it and is the heart of, of Laos. And, you know, in, and again, in, in the Mekong, you have an incredible amount of fish species, uh, you know, hundreds of fish species that you know people are eating and using in their cooking and in their in their daily diets and it's it's a really important source of food and income for people there is there a conflict between development on the river and maintaining the the foodways yeah i mean of course i mean there are dams coming in and and that's something that that has to be to be balanced and to, to, to there's trade-offs of course I think you know what what's happening, and you see this is that you know as as kind of the traditional food you know fish systems kind of are changed, that people are turning to more aquaculture and to more kind of fish farming and whatnot. Uh, and you know we'll have to see. I mean, there will be sources of fish that are lost, but there'll be new ways to actually you know cultivate and 
So going fish. from hunting to farming. Yeah, well, to farming fish to, yeah, to raised fish. But, you know, can you keep different species around, local species uh, that can grow? One of the great things that we were doing in the project that I was working with that was part of Pakalao was fish conservation zones. And, you know, just by, you know, managing, you know, little areas within the river, you can recreate or, you know, build up biodiversity in a really short amount of time. So it, it's also about finding ways to, uh, you know, conserve and use the fish species there. And, and it's simple ways, you know, fish conservation zones. It's just about making sure that local people are, you know, blocking off certain areas of the river uh, for no fishing. And in you know, a matter of a season or two, you get an incredible amount of fish coming back. And they recognize the value of waiting a season or two? I think, yeah, I mean, in, in most areas, yeah, people are starting to see that this is a great way to, it's not about conservation, uh, but it's about, you know, br- building back the fish stock so that they have them to eat and to sell. And I, I think you see in a lot of these villages now, too, that they also see it as a, it's a really, you, you see a lot of the fish, people like to go out and feed the fish. It becomes kind of a little nice area in the village where people can go and walk and hang out. And you're sitting on a bridge and you're feeding the fish. Fish all come. And, you know, it's a, again, it's part of this, you know, linkage back to nature, back to understanding where your food is coming from. And how about the forest? You've mentioned non-timber forest uh, products, and I think of fruits and nuts and, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe some medicinal stuff as mm-hmm. well. But are there efforts to quasi-domesticate those those food crops? What's interesting with non-timber forest products is that many of them grow up in the fallow themselves. So after there's a burn, there's a huge amount of diversity that comes in. And we were talking to some farmers and, you know, when they grow their 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 rice harvest, you know, their rice fields within a, a shifting cultivation or a fallow system, there's also like 20 or 30 different plants and vegetables that are growing up at the same time. And so it's this diversity that you have to cultivate. It's not about just protecting the forest. It's about managing and utilizing the forest. And I think that's one of the real important things and unique things within, within Laos. It's about how do you sustainably utilize products rather than just conserve and protect? And it's that conservation, it's that sustainable utilization that actually creates more biodiversity than just trying to keep something in its current state. I think that's the thing that a lot of people in the West, if they've even heard of a fallow system, they think that the farmer kind of walks away for a year, two years, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is that the fallow is actually not just building up the soil or whatever it is, but it's actually providing them with stuff that they can use and that they need. Yes. I mean, what we found in the areas that we work in is that the fallow provides... uh, more sources of nutrition uh, in terms of vegetables and in terms of non-timber forest products and income. So there's the valuable, you know, non-timber forest products that are growing up there too, you know, bamboo shoots, uh, bamboo, uh, different types of medicinals. Uh, so there's a huge range of things that are growing up there and it's, it's more valuable in a sense than the non-timber forest products that are growing in kind of protected forest areas. And, and more valuable than the rice. Yeah, and more valuable. Well, I mean, yeah, more valuable than the rice. It, you know, in, in most areas where people are doing shifting cultivation, they might not be having rice all year round, but they have enough other income where they can supplement that and then buy other rice stocks. The interesting thing about the, the, you know, the, the landscape, and that's the other important thing when we're talking about, you know, we're not talking about agrobiodiversity just on your farm and that there's like five, you know, 20 different things that are growing 
in your in your field. It's that, you know, particularly in northern Laos, that there is no differentiation between the forest and the farm. It's this incredible landscape, and, and that's the importance of being able to, to think about a landscape. And, you know, farmers in Laos think about the landscape, you know, and you, you need to protect certain areas. You want to, of course, protect the upper watershed areas. You want to be able to protect certain parts of the forest. But other parts, you can actually, it, it's a, a seamless you know, there is no differentiation between farmland and forest land. And that's a, it's, it's a hard thing, I think, for bureaucrats and for planners to deal with because it's so diverse and so complex, these systems. And we all want to kind of put them into their little boxes and whatnot. But that's the important thing. And when we're talking about agrobiodiversity in Laos, we're talking about this, this landscape approach where things are growing all over the place. And, and once you try to stop that and just... You know, and once you try to stop that, then you're going to be losing some of these valuable products. And getting back to your domestication question, yeah, there's a lot of products, particularly a lot of bamboo shoots, uh, a lot of different types of uh, NTFPs that are starting to be now vegetables that are starting to be domesticated. And it's a great opportunity, but it, it's also you know really important to be able to again sustainably utilize the landscape itself rather than trying to say oh we're going to now be able to protect this forest because we're domesticating it it's this balance between the two that i think is quite interesting i'm not aware of laotian restaurants in the places i go to when do we when do we start seeing laotian food becoming the next hot big ethnic food in the rest of the world that's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, in, in Washington, D.C., from what I've understood, there's a restaurant that's now become, I think, the first starred Lao restaurant. Uh, in Laos, there's becoming a lot of, there's, the, there's one, a slow food restaurant uh, called Doi Kanoi that's, that's becoming, you know, quite big and, you know, really trying to build upon the slow food concepts and using that in Lao cuisine. I think there's a ton of restaurants that are coming up in Lao. You, you start to see it sprouting up. And you see Lao food is is some of the major attractions in most Thai restaurants, the sticky rice, the, 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 you know, the papaya salads, the, the chicken, uh, the spicy salsas and, and whatnot. So I, I think it's there, and I think it's going, you're going to see it a lot more. Michael Victor, talking about the astonishing and delicious diversity of the farms and forests of Laos, which you can see for yourself at the project's website. Pakao Lao, so www.phakhaolao.la. Don't worry if you didn't get that. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes at eatthispodcast.com. And while you're there, you might be interested in an episode I put up in February 2014, talking to Karen Coates about unexploded bombs and the farmers of Laos. Again, I'll make it easy by putting a link in the show notes. Next time, uh, something a little closer to home and to my heart. Another visit to a baker doing extraordinary things. Till then, from me, Jeremy Chaffers, goodbye and thanks for listening.